Hi, and welcome to episode 116 of the Untethered Podcast. Today we have Autumn Reed Henning joining us again. She is a certified and licensed speech language pathologist with a certificate of clinical competence from the American Speech Language Hearing Association. She's a certified orofacial myologist through the International Association of Orofacial Myology, and she's an international board certified lactation consultant. She graduated from the University of Kentucky with a master's degree in communication disorders. Autumn is currently appointed and in good standing as an assistant professor with the Voluntary Faculty Series in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of Kentucky College of Health Sciences. She was a founding board member for the International Consortium for Oral Anglophrenia Professionals, ICAP. Autumn specializes in orofacial function and development throughout the lifespan. She's the founder of Chrysalis Orofacial, which functions to serve a patient's serve patients and provide continuing education to colleagues globally. Autumn's married to Dr. Zach Henning and they have a daughter McKenna Grace Henning. They reside in Greenville, South Carolina with their beloved cats. Her hobbies include travel, reading, church, and any activity with her family. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Vulcan. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hey, Autumn, welcome back to the podcast. Hey there, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to, to chat about this topic and I know we've talked about this a lot. Um, so letting others in on the conversation. Absolutely, I think it's been like at least six months, maybe longer that you and I have been having this conversation. And so bringing it to the world, even though it might be a little bit controversial and or others may disagree with it, I think is something that it's a conversation that needs to be had. So we're going to share this all with you. And you're probably like, what are we even talking about? <laughs> we are talking about <laughs> lip taping. <laughs> so I'm going to turn it over to you, Autumn, but I know that you and I are both on the same page here, um, that we're not, we are not really pro lip taping. We're kind of in the opposite camp. So take it away. <laughs> I know. So, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with a variety of disciplines and people are kind of all over the board on it. And, um, I do, See, it seems like folks are either very into it or completely against it. And, you know, usually the truth is somewhere in the middle. And it's just like when someone asks me a clinical question, nine times out of 10, my answer is it depends, right? <laughs> and I know that, that's, that stinks. Um, but yeah, it really is case specific. But you know, talking about lip taping, there's so many different ways that people are doing it. Um, you know, professionals recommending it, professionals doing it on themselves and their families. Um, and then, you know, patients just, you know, seeing it on social media or, or YouTube or, or Google searches and, and are now doing it. And there's even a lot of, you know, commercial products out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I say this all the time is our own experience is the best continuing education. And, you know, granted, our own experience is not always reflective of what others experience. I definitely think 
it's a um, learning opportunity. And I was recommended to do lip taping years ago. And I did, I tried it. And oh my goodness, I couldn't, I couldn't keep it there. And like the anxiety was through the roof. And it really got me thinking about it. And I've never recommended it to my patients just because I haven't felt comfortable and um, in doing it and some of the reasons that we'll go into today. But, um, you know, Hallie, we're in a field that is, you know, relatively um, cutting edge and more um, forward thinking and very like um, addressing root causes in EDL. And I think that's what our patients appreciate so much about us is that we're not just trying to put a Band-Aid on something. And I really do feel like lip taping is a literal Band-Aid. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, to some, it makes sense. Oh, the lips are open and your mouth breathing. Well, how about we just close those lips and you're going to convert to nasal breathing? Well, you might, but what sort of issues can arise from that? Um, You know, under what circumstances are those recommendations being made? Um, What diagnostics do we have? Um, Are there safer alternatives? And is there a way that teaches this skill without, you know, utilizing a literal Band-Aid and, um, you know, addresses the reason for it in the first place. So yeah, first off, I would start with saying that there is a reason that the lips are open. Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, I recognize that maybe all the things have been addressed and now it's just a, a neurological pattern and a habit that lips are still open. And that's a different scenario than recommending lip taping in the middle of treatment or as a first line of defense, or just, you know, as a DIY at home treatment, um, that that's different. But there's a reason the lips are open in the first place. And, you know, that there's a variety of reasons that could be, you know, like I said, habit, it could be low muscle tone, it could be some sort of obstruction. Um, you know, when we think of airway, it's not just the trachea and the lungs, right? You know, we're thinking of upper airway. And so all of that is space. When we think of airway, it should be hollow and a space. So, you know, we've got the nasal airway and, you know, things that can impact that, the septum, the turbinates, um, you know, polyps or cysts or, you know, anything like that. And then, you know, we've got the mouth and the pharyngeal airway. And so narrow palate, um, tongue position and tongue tie, um, tonsils, um, I guess adenoids are more nasal, um, adenoids, um, all of those things can impact too. So when the lips are open, there's usually a reason. And in our world, we're working mainly with like obstructive sleep apnea type stuff or upper airway resistance. And so many times the reason the lips are open is because of an obstruction. Yeah. And what you're doing by taping the lips closed, 
you're increasing airway resistance. Yeah, which actually can do, they can do damage to the heart. It can do damage to, I mean, it's not helpful. It can actually be very harmful. And I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's harmless. It, it's just, you know, you're just taping your lips shut. They'll pop open if they need to. That's actually not true. <laughs> yes, I've heard that too. The other thing that folks say is like, you know, the um, micropore tape or some of the products out there that have a hole in them. Well, okay, you know, everyone over the year, over this year, we've all had to wear masks. How well do people breathe through masks? Masks are porous too. And yeah, so I just don't think those holes are adequate. They're tiny. Yeah. Um, and it's true. Like when you're unconscious and, you know, you're in those deeper stages of sleep, you're actually paralyzed. Yeah. So just saying that the lips will pop open with that amount of force, you know, yeah. And folks I think we also like need to think about what happens. Like you're saying, when we're asleep, our body's basically paralyzed. Like it's very, our anatomy and physiology mm-hmm. is very different when we're laying down and we're asleep compared to when we're sitting up in somebody's office in front of them with maybe, you know, maybe if you're using the lip taping and they're in your office and you're using it while they're awake to help them encourage lip closure and nasal breathing. And you know, there's no obstruction, you know, because that's been cleared. Okay, fine, maybe. But to tape somebody's mouth and send them to bed, especially pediatric cases, I mean, that anatomy changes the second you lay down and the second you go into any stage of sleep, the body's relaxed and everything starts to fall back and you can actually cause a more narrow airway, especially if that tongue is not up in the palate with those lips sealed, then the tongue's just going to fall back. It's still going to fall back and block the airway. We're still going to, we could be causing obstructive sleep apnea. You know, we could be causing a lot of harm and damage. And I don't think people are thinking about this. You know, even um, we were having a talk last night with a dentist and just the difference between a CT or a CBCT when you're upright right? And the imaging you get from that versus somebody who goes for an MRI and they're laying down on their back, you know, you get very different aside from the fact that those, those scans read different things. And, you know, one looks at bone and one can look at additional, um, cartilage and, and tissue in the body. You still get different. The anatomy sits in a different place, right? Right. Physiology changes when anatomy changes and we're not thinking about that. And it's very, it can be very dangerous to lip tape, especially if you're not 100% sure that that airway is pain. So that's my little soapbox. <laughs> I agree. And definitely in, in children, <laughs> that is terrifying. And special needs populations or um, people that are not able to really like advocate for themselves and, you know, um, don't necessarily have a choice. But honestly, let's be real. It's dangerous for adults too. Yeah. Um, because you know, when we do sleep studies, we see all of this data on arousals and, and things like that. And you talk to some of the patients and they don't even know that they're having some of these events. So the fact that people are saying, oh, they're just going to wake up and take the tape off if it's a problem. I don't think that's true at all. Um, you know, I think, I think you're right. It puts strain on the whole system. And, you know, especially since in those stages of sleep that we're paralyzed and we've taped our lips shut, 
and increase that airway resistance. You know, even, even if it's not causing, you know, major issues, which how would we know? Right. How right. are we going to know <laughs> unless we're true. hooked up? Well, you're not going to know. And I don't feel comfortable taking that gamble. Um, but even so, um, you know, at the very least, they're probably going to be kicked out to a lighter stage of sleep. Okay. And, or eventually they will unconsciously remove the tape or completely wake up kind of in that dreamland state. And any way you look at it, it's contributing to further sleep deprivation and not getting into those deeper stages of sleep. So you may actually make someone sleep worse by recommending this and by doing this. Um, and so in any time there's disturbances during REM and stage three sleep, um, it can be shown to have cognitive and physiological um, effects. Like you mentioned, the strain on the cardiovascular system. Um, that's when, you know, memories are consolidated and, you know, certain hormones are um, secreted and regulated and things like that. So if you're interrupting that, and maybe it's already interrupted. Obviously, it probably is if they're already mouth breathing. But it could be exacerbated to a much worse level too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So those are, you know, just being real. And I always try to, you know, at the risk of um, some people being upset about uh, what we're talking about and and saying and, and defending kind of their practices and and things like that, that's okay. You know, that's you, you do you. And I'm just really putting this out there and, you know, we're kind of bringing our, our behind the scenes conversations to the forefront so that people can really think through it and at least have more information and weigh risk and benefit. Um, so I, I just had that kind of on my heart to do and and felt like this was a great platform to do it. Um, I think you made a really good point about like the cone beam, the CBCTs. It's all positioned based. It's all, you know, gravity based. We're upright, we're awake, we're cognitive. You know, it's a snapshot in time and it's not dynamic. You know, people, you know, sleep very differently when they're on their side versus their back, when they've had had a drink versus not, um, when they have seasonal allergies versus a time that the pollen count is low. Um, you know, there's a lot of variable factors and I don't know about you, but I'm not going home with my patients and sleeping next to them. So, <laughs> no, no. Um, and I know that we've also been taught that ideally in the perfect world, a sleep study would even take place over three nights, because if you go to the gym one day, but not the next day, your sleep is going to be different. If you have a glass of wine one night, but not, you know, the other two, your sleep is right. going to be different. There's just so many daily life factors that play yep. into even what your sleep looks like at night that to get a true average, honest read, you know, I've been taught, we really need the sum of three nights of sleep together. Now we 
don't always get that. Most sleep studies are one night, whether it's home or in a sleep center, but either way, I think that we just need to be cognizant of this and aware that, you know, just because somebody comes back with a cleared sleep study, well, what does that even mean? Because we know, I know before, um, you know, Christian Gimeno passed, he even had talked about in one presentation, how he was upset about the whole scale that he would, had created along with, I forget the um, other individual's name. It was just mentioned last night now. Uh, John Rimmers, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, and how it's being misinterpreted and that a mild issue is still an issue. It doesn't mean mild, don't treat it. Like the US insurance companies you know, basically take it. Yeah. Um, it means, oh, we still have some form of apnea and it needs to be addressed because this is still life-threatening. So Mm -hmm. whether it's mild or severe, it's, you know, obstructive or not obstructive. If we have sleep disordered breathing, if it's upper airway resistance, we still need to be addressing and treating these issues. And so this, in my opinion, applies to all of these patients. Right. And, you know, upper airway resistance, when you close part of the airway, the mouth, the lips, now you're increasing pressure and resistance. So like we're, we're further exacerbating it. And I am convinced that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you have to have them cleared and know there's a patent airway. How are you going to know? How are you going to know? There is no diagnostic out there that could convince me of this. Even, you know, DICE, um, drug-induced sleep endoscopy, we don't have great research on it and good data that it accurately represents real sleep. Like that's one of the criticisms of it. I was at a um, airway and sleep study club meeting um, that launched in our community. um, And we had sleep physicians, ENTs, um, our practice of myofunctional therapists, um, dentists, oral surgeons, a lot of folks in this space. And that was brought up is that, you know, yeah, it's drug induced and that's not physiologically exactly the same as true sleep. So there is not because of what you said, all of those factors and gravity and tone and, and neurological state and position that could convince me that like, hey, this is 100% safe. And, you know, I also don't really feel like, you know, it's a wise choice for, for me and my patients, at least. Yeah. Um, well, especially, what are we gaining? That's what I want to know. Yeah. What are we gaining? And do you ever hear anyone say, oh, I taped my mouth for three months and then now I'd no longer have to tape. I haven't heard any of that. I hear, yep, I tape my mouth every night. Right. I've even had people argue in Facebook groups about, <laughs> you know, seven plus years of taping and we'll continue to tape. And I'm over here going, but, but why? But why wouldn't we just work on the oral habit, work on the obstruction if there is one, work on expansion if needed, you know, grow that jaw forward. Why wouldn't we address these things that take a lot less than seven years typically? Um, <laughs> and, and arguably it's much safer. We're going to gain, you know, optimal health in this process and, teach the tongue where it needs to rest, put the jaw in the position it needs to be in so you can safely sleep and your lips can 
close, you know, learn to close on their own, because that's ultimately what we do in myofunctional therapy. Right. I mean, that is the safer choice here in my opinion. Yes. And, and, you know, that's the thing, there are safer alternatives. And again, this is the band-aid. This is a crutch that doesn't teach proper function. You give someone a wheelchair and, you know, never practice walking and never um, do any of those exercises is that person ever going to walk? No, they're just going to sit in the wheelchair. And so that's kind of what I'm seeing here. And so I think there definitely needs to be a plan to come off of it. Um, if, if it is something someone's comfortable in recommending and they've done all the research and looked at all of these issues or whatever. Um, I want to add something too. Yeah. So the other thing I'm going to say, which is an unpopular opinion, most ENTs in the United States of America are not airway centric. And I know that that's mind blowing for people because they're ENTs. Airway is what they do. Like, what do you mean, Hallie? Well, they might take a look in the throat and go, oh, well, those tonsils are like a size three, you know, but the child's not sick and they're not constantly on medication. And, you know, their, their lips are closed right now in front of me. So they're fine they're okay. You know, and, or maybe they scope and they go, Oh, well, there's like a 70% um, blockage of the adenoids, but they can still breathe through there. There. I mean, I've had, these are real cases. Like mm-hmm. it's been my own family. It's been patients of mine. Like I'm not making these things up and these are really well-known ENTs. Now are there ENTs who do get it in this space? Yes, but they are far and few between. And we would invite more of them to join us in this space. If you're an ENT listening, um, you know, it's one of those areas where we really all need to work together and we need to be having these conversations because just sending a child or adult patient to an ENT and the ENT saying you're cleared typically means nothing. It means nothing. They did not scope that child or adult typically. And if they did, what were they even looking at? What were they looking for? Were they ruling out reflux? Were they actually, you know, looking at the adenoids? Were they doing functional evaluations where they watch. I mean, and that's my biggest thing, especially with like the tongue tie topic. And then ENT sends a kid back and says, there's no tongue tie. And I'm like, did they watch the child eat? Did they do a speech evaluation? Did they look at overall function? Did they watch them sleep? No. How can you rule this out and say, yes, I see some, you know, tissue that might appear tight, but it's, there's no tongue tie. How can you say that? How can you say that without And like you said, we're not all going to go home with our patients and watch them sleep, but I can tell you that when parents contact me and they say, my child is sucking their thumb or my child is a picky eater. My first question to them is what is your child's mouth look like right now while they're playing? Is their mouth open or closed? Because that's going to give me so much diagnostic information right off the bat before I ever even see the child. If that child's mouth is open and their tongue is at the bottom of their mouth, that's probably how they're sleeping. And if that's how they're sleeping and that's how they're going through their day, well, no wonder they're plugging their mouth. They're, they're, that thumb is filling a void. It's filling a need right now. And it might be bringing their lower, lower jaw forward to open up their airway. There's so many things that this information tells us. And, you know, and I know this is a whole different conversation, but it's still, it, it all begs the question of, we're constantly looking at like, how do we get the thumb out? How do we get the lips closed? Let's put a guard on the thumb. Let's tape the mouth shut. These are not solutions. These are band-aids. Like you said, it is a literal band-aid across the lips or across the thumb to try and keep it. I've had people put band-aids on the thumbs too for that, to try to keep it, you know, keep the thumb out of the mouth or keep the mouth closed. 
we need to be looking at the root of the problem. This tells me something deeper is going on. And if we figure out what that is, guess what happens? We can train that mouth to be closed. Thumb no longer needs to be in there. We can train that tongue up on the palate. So anyways, that's my whole, you know, little spiel on safer options. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think some of the safer options are a myofunctional therapy and getting, you know, having a full evaluation and, you know, being thoroughly assessed and referred to the right professionals and those things addressed. And then, you know, us doing a lot of the muscular training and getting the lips moving and sealed and closed um, during daytime. And then I like to work on it daytime and then like in a recliner, you know, incrementally reclining while we're awake. Um, And I, I don't usually tape the lips closed. I, I don't tape the lips closed. Let's I don't either. Um, <laughs> I don't either. No. <laughs> now I have used um, some kinesio tape around the musculature, just kind of as like a support and a tactile cue and like a reminder. Um, but you know what? That is allowing and teaching the muscles to do what they should be doing. Yeah. That is not augmenting and providing the closure. Right. And so I think those are two different things and artificially like closing the lips, um, you know, passively versus actively. And, you know, when we're talking about patterns and habits and, and retraining the brain to, you know, get into this new pattern you know, that's much easier to, to work with and, you know, reduce. It's so much easier to, okay, you're going to use kinesio tape. Okay. Now this time the, the tape is much smaller. You know, we decrease the amount of, um, cue that we're using. So yeah, I just, I spend something weighing on me and it's kind of everywhere. And, um, you know, I, I think, some of these hard conversations are how we move forward and really um, discern what the right thing is for our patients and, um, you know, even ourselves and our own families. But I can tell you, you know, my general experience, you know, I had so many people telling me, you know, I had addressed all these things about myself um, with my tongue tie and, my nasal obstruction and, and whatever. And I'm like, man, I'm still a mouth breather. And everyone's like, Oh, Oh, use, use this tape, tape your mouth, tape your mouth at night. It's just micro pore tape or paper tape or whatever. Um, or use this commercial product or whatnot. And I couldn't do it. You guys, like my anxiety went through the roof because my brain thought I was dying. Yeah, because I wasn't getting enough air. And there was a reason my lips are open when I lay down. And um, I did end up having a CBCT and my, you know, airway at the smallest point is 1.9 millimeters. And that's up, wake, up, upright and awake. So you can only imagine what that is at night. So, 
yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't do it. And it is anxiety producing for, for people that truly, you know, cannot do it. Um, so yeah, um, I just want to caution people to be careful and really think about what's going on and all the effects of sleep disordered breathing that we know happen, you know, the bedwetting and the teeth grinding and the, um, you know, cognitive memory attention issues. Is it worth it to have the lips shut? Oh, yay, good job. To potentially exacerbate those things, no. right? And I, I just, I don't, I don't think it is. And um, the bottom line is, how do we know that it's not harmful? You know, and and you don't, you right. really don't. Um, and I'm you know, I'm not ready to experiment on that. So <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, the first time I thought about putting tape across my lips, I was like, you know, something about my body, like I'm not an anxious person and I was feeling anxiety around it. I was like, why would I tape my mouth shut if it needs to be open? So I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, I have tried myo tape and what I liked about it, like you said, was it guided the muscles. And that is exactly what we're trying to do in Mayo is we're trying to guide the muscles. And so I've also cut it down. I've also stretched it wider sometimes and then stretched it less because it puts more, you know, you, there's more resistance or there's more pull on the muscle, uh, more direction, more it's aiding it more. Right. And then you can kind of wean off of it. I don't use it anymore. The reason why I was using it at one point too, to help guide my muscles is because I was in a DNA vivo supliance and mm -hmm. that fills my mouth. And it's an, it's almost impossible to keep your lips closed while you're wearing that appliance. And I was like, well, this seems kind of counterintuitive, but let's just try taping. And so I not taping, but, you know, using the myo tape, Kinesio tape around the lips, not across the lips. And it did help for that, but it was part of a treatment plan. It wasn't meant to be long-term. It was towards the end of my appliance wearing. Um, I allowed myself, my mouth to do whatever it needed to do up towards the end of the treatment process. And then I wanted to start guiding those muscles again, back to where they were or where they needed to be. And so it was again, part of a treatment plan, but a team decision. It was not just let's just tape across the lips to keep them shut because you now the appliance is forcing my mouth open. Um, and again, we know, like you said, like, and we, like we've talked about things collapse even more. So if you're already starting with a, you know, extremely narrow airway, which you may not know if you haven't had imaging done, if it's that tiny and it's already, there's already so much upper airway resistance and now we're laying down and everything's falling back on each other. Plus the tongue is falling back and, you know, just by taping the lip shut doesn't mean that we're in the right position. The jaw can still be falling back. The tongue can be falling back. We're just causing, like you said, further, um, resistance. And if we don't want to increase the resistance. So for me, I'd almost rather somebody mouth breathe at night until I know we can get that tongue up in the palate and safely keep their airway open as much as it's able to be open while they're in their sleeping position. Um, so that we're not just closing the mouth, but letting the tongue fall back and create further obstruction because you can be causing sleep apnea or worsening sleep apnea. And I think people really need to stop and think about what recommendations are we making? Do they make sense? Is there research to back what I'm, you know, what I make, you know, what I'm saying here. And, and if there's not, I know that we learn through experience, but I'm the last person who wants to cause, you know, uh, the, 
more obstruction when someone's sleeping. I'm the last person who wants to give advice that's going to be harmful to somebody's, you know, ability to keep a healthy heart, you know, functioning while they're sleeping. We, you know, I think one of the things that we've heard that makes sense is that, well, when you nasal breathe, we have the heart rate variability is in a healthy range, right? It's, it's, you know, when we look at it, it looks really good because we're nasal breathing. We can't force that by taping our lips shut. That is just by closing your mouth. Doesn't mean like, Oh, well, the heart's good. No, we're actually the cardiovascular system is being stressed. If you're taping that mouth shut and we don't have the ability to 100% breathe through the nose. So, right. you know, that's what I think we need to be considering based on the patients in front of us. You're right. And it's, it's all in the nuance of it. Like, like I, I facetiously said, Oh yay, The lips are closed. Well, yeah, you tape them shut. But what have we really accomplished? We've accomplished someone being dependent on a Band-Aid across their mouth and nasal breathing out of necessity because that's the only way they have to breathe at that point, yeah. right? And, and so I, I think, you know, the risk of this and the unknowns of this outweigh the potential benefits, especially when there are safer alternatives And, you know, we can work from the ground up and teach that proper function and get them other treatments and remove obstruction and reduce the resistance. So that's the goal. And, um, you know, that's the thing. The tongue is the wild card. You know, certain things don't shift at night. The tongue and the jaw do. And so you don't know, you don't know what that looks like at night for them on any given night. And so, um, yeah, I just hope people, you know, are open to hearing this and, you know, really think about it and, you know, back to the, all the, um, kind of justifications people give for doing this. Oh, you know, they'll just rip it off. Um, oh, their lips can open if they really need to, or they can breathe around the tape, or this product has holes in it and they can breathe through it. How long does something need to happen before that happens? You know, how long are they going without adequate airflow before that happens? And what is that doing? It's like everyone in this space knows that AHI, you know, the apnea, apnea, hypopnea index, you know, is like, okay, it only qualifies if it's 10 seconds or longer. And I always tell people, I'm like, but what if I stop breathing for six seconds? A lot of time. That's still obstructive. (laughs) Yes. That's a problem too. And so that's what I feel like tape, tape is, is, could be, you know, contributing to, And so, you know, what damage are we doing in the meantime? And until we can answer that, you know, satisfactorily, (laughs) um, you know, it will not be something that happens in in my practice. And um, yeah, I just want to say like, hey, I'm open to hear other perspectives and, um, just because I'm coming out and saying this is my opinion and, and you know, my, my stance and how I, I choose to practice doesn't mean I'm not open to hearing 
other sides and, um, you know, potentially new information out there or um, other experiences. So I definitely don't want to be adversarial in that way, but I do think this is a hard conversation and one that, you know, really needed to be had um, yeah. because there's, there's a lot of this out there. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm the same, you know, if there is other information that comes to light or something that can continue this conversation forward, you know, we always invite that. And I think that's one of the things I love about whenever we record, because now you've been on the podcast, what, this is the third time or fourth time I've lost track. Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> it might I be the fourth. I think it's the fourth time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like as always, we're very open to learning, to having discussions. I mean, I, like you said, that's what furthers this field. That's what furthers our understanding of human anatomy and physiology and, and what may be happening for our patients. And I think that when we put our heads together and we look at what other, whatever information is available currently, plus what we know from practice, plus what we know from the other professionals and other spaces that we work with frequently on our teams, you know, we are, our minds open up to so much new information on, on a regular basis, you know? So of course, like you said, always welcome a rebuttal, always welcome, you know, other information. But if you're going to come forward and say, Hey, I disagree, like, please have some like good info so we can have a constructive conversation around it. Cause you know, I really want to bring to the table, um, other thoughts on this if you have them, but again, like, let's talk about what's going on with the body and, and, and prove to me why myofunctional therapy is not necessarily like the first line of defense. Like that's kind of where I want to wrap this up because I really think at the end of the day, if we're truly, like you've brought up many times, if we're truly treating the root of the problem, putting a bandaid on something never is the fix. Right. And, and that's something that I've said since day one too, it's, we want to get to the root of the problem and treat that. And many other things start to fall in place from a health perspective, when you figure out what that root cause is of you know, a myriad of myriad of symptoms and other things that are impacting a patient. So, um, I think we just need to remember there's a reason that those lips are open. Let's figure out what that reason is together. And, you know, I think we, this is a, it could be an ongoing conversation. So thank you, Autumn, for having this discussion. I know, um, I'm always full of unpopular opinions and I, I welcome it. I love it. I like to ruffle feathers. So if someone feels ruffled, you're welcome to reach out. We can chat about it. <laughs> Be nice. Be nice though. We're yes, nice. Nice. We're nice people. We will let Even you play in our sandbox, but you have to play nice in the sandbox. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, thanks for providing a platform to, to do this. And, um, I am excited to, um, hear what folks, you know, think about, think about some of the things and points that we brought up today and, um, yeah, keep progressing forward. Absolutely. Thanks so much. See ya. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Myo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan, and you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 